0: Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Good Friday service at Lord of Grace Lutheran Church here in Morana, Arizona. Uh, welcome to everyone who's following us online, who's watching us, wherever you may be. This is a modified version of the Stations of the Cross liturgy that we have done here at Lord of Grace for the past several years. We will begin our service with an introductory section that will have a reading of the Psalms as well as a sermon by me We will then go on to the litany of the Stations of the Cross, where we will go through all 14 of the biblical Stations of the Cross. We will alternate between prayers, which I encourage you to pray along with, and you will see those on your screen, and original artwork showing each station by Tucson artist Michael Schultz. So welcome everyone to this service. I want to uh, remind everyone that Easter is coming up. We are going to have Easter services, even though we can't have them in person. Follow us on this YouTube channel again. We'll be on at 10 a.m. on Easter morning. You know, I'll celebrate at homes and follow along with us. And again, I want to thank everyone who's been supportive of our congregation in these times. Uh, we encourage your, we uh, thank you for your personal support, your financial support. And follow us again on lordofgrace.org is our website. So again, welcome everyone, and let us begin. A reading from Psalm 119, starting at verse 19. I live as an alien in the land. Do not hide your commandments from me. My soul is consumed with longing for your ordinances at all times. You rebuke the insolent, accursed ones who wander from your commandments. Take away from me their scorn and contempt, for I have kept your decrees. Even though princes sit plotting against me, your servants will meditate on your statutes. Your decrees are my delight. They are my counselors. My soul clings to the dust Revive me according to your word. When I told of my ways, you answered me. Teach me your statutes. Make me understand the way of your precepts, and I will meditate on your wondrous works. My soul melts away for sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. Put false ways far from me. Graciously teach me your law. One of my guilty pleasures on TV is watching Law and Order. Uh, I'm, I've watched all of the different Laws and Orders uh, going all the way back to the 90s. Uh, I even watched that one that they ran in L.A. for a season that no one else watched. I liked that one too. Uh, I like procedural drama, even if I know that it's not exactly how the real world works. I know, for example, that cases usually take a long time to wind through the courts, and they rarely go to trial within a day or two. Uh, I know sometimes people wait months, even years, to get uh, their trial through, even though the Constitution guarantees you a speedy trial. I know that a lot of cases get pled out, and a lot of things get solved using boring evidence like receipts and tax bills, accounting discrepancies. And I know that we are under the same presumption of innocence until proven guilty. And that it's the prosecutor's job to prove guilt, not the defendant's job to prove innocence. But more often in the real world, that isn't how it works. Not in people's minds. More often when you see the person in front of you especially if they look shady, whatever your stereotype of that is, if they look bad, suddenly in your mind, the burden is on the accused to prove they're innocent. I know that we say in our system, innocent until proven guilty. Technically, that's how it is. But once you get on the stand, now it's all about how you react that will decide your fate. It's why a lot of defendants don't testify on their own behalf. They convict themselves with their own big mouths, even if they are innocent. Because what happens is, they put you up there, and the defense lawyer gets you all decked out, right? They put you in a suit, they shave your beard, they they comb your hair so you look more respectable and look less shady. And they coach the defendant into how to talk properly, how to not sound like the kind of person who would have committed the crime. And then the prosecution gets up there. And what do they try to do? They try to rattle you, shake you up with hard questions that make you hesitate, or they throw out accusations against you that irritate you because they're designed to be insulting and offensive and to get under your skin. So you hear him say ridiculous things like, so what I heard, sir, is that you're really trying to uh, steal babies and sell them to support your drug habit. And the defendant's going, what the heck? Lies! But I thought I saw you. Lies! But I know you did it. Lies! You're a liar! Oh, so we have an anger problem, do we? Sounds like thou dost protest too much. Your honor, you can see the defendant is clearly violent and aggressive and has an anger problem. We can all see that he steals babies for drug money.
1: Liar, they should have you disbarred,
0: you ambulance-chasing scum! And then when you scream, they gavel contempt, and the bailiff drags you away, and in the jury's minds, you're already guilty, because you look it. See, this is the problem with defending yourself. Often, The harder you try to defend yourself, the more it only proves their accusation right. The more anger you show, the more aggressive you get, the more reaction you give them, the more you only play into their hands to prove their point, regardless of evidence. So you're in this vice, and you're stuck between saying nothing and looking like you agree with them, or getting defensive and looking guilty. This is not an easy situation. But in a kangaroo court, like what Jesus went to, those were his choices. He was accused of claiming to be king in the way that they understood it, as somebody who wanted to sit on a throne, a revolutionary who was going to start bloodshed and war. Now, Jesus was a king, and we still say that Jesus is the king, but not in that way. So what they do at every step of this trial is they try to goad Jesus into reacting. First, they came and they arrest him armed to the hilt. Look at the Gospel. Look at the Gospel of John here. John 18, starting at verse 3, it says, So Judas brought a detachment of soldiers together with police from the chief priests and the Pharisees, and they came there with lanterns and torches and weapons." Why the overkill? Either they're trying to scare him into a quick surrender, like SWAT teams do, or they're trying to scare him into fighting back, at which point they can just kill him for being an insurrectionist. And that's when it says that Simon Peter does react with violence, and it says he takes out his sword and he cuts off the ear of the high priest's slave, Malchus. Simon Peter takes the bait and he reacts. And Jesus quickly shuts him up, knowing that that could be all the soldiers need to start a fight and to just wipe them all off and say, well, they were starting a riot. Verse 11, it continues. Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword back into its sheath. Am I not to drink the cup that the Father has given me? Next, they bring Jesus to the high priest, where he gets grilled about all his past teachings. And does Jesus give them a point by point rebuttal? No. He tells them it's all a sham. Verse 20. Jesus answered, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in synagogues and in the temple. Where all the Jews came together, I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who heard what I said to them. They know what I said. And how did they react to Jesus not putting up a defense? Well, they get angry. They try to goad him into either submission or reaction. It says, "When, when he had said this, one of the police standing nearby struck Jesus on the face, saying, is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered, if I have spoken wrongly, testify to the wrong, but if I have spoken rightly, why do you strike me? Why do you strike me if I'm just telling the truth? Maybe you're the one who's scared. Maybe you're the one who can't handle the truth. Maybe you're admitting to me that you're just running a kangaroo court and you're ticked off that I won't play along. Jesus is being put on trial in such a way that they can make their accusations self-fulfilling. That Jesus will convict himself with his own reaction and they won't need to produce real evidence that he's done anything wrong. They won't need to prove that he's violent or a threat to God, country, and apple pie and everything they stood for. I imagine, I imagine that Jesus at this point was very tired. That this had been a very stressful, stressful week for him. That he'd been under constant surveillance by the priests, the Pharisees, the Romans. That he'd been in and out of the city walls alternately running in and getting people ticked off, knocking over the tables of the money changers and talking about rebuilding the whole temple, and then going back out of the city to the garden, which is outside the city walls. And here he was, having finally been arrested, having spent the night in prison, probably not sleeping all that well. And now he has to listen To all the endless false accusations and petty nitpicking of his every word to try to get rid of him. For every reason except the real one, which they won't admit, which is that they're scared of his teachings undermining their power and authority. They can't handle a new expert in town and they don't like what he says. So they're setting this whole thing up out of fear. But they can't admit that, so that's why we get all this stuff about corrupting the youth and so on. That was a charge against Jesus, corrupting the youth. I can also imagine that Jesus was losing his patience with this charade of a trial. And you can see that his answers got steadily more smart-mouthed as he went on. By the time he gets to Pilate, he plays the whole use-your-own-words-against-you bit. Chapter 18, verse 33. Then Pilate entered the headquarters again, summoned Jesus and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, Do you ask this on your own, or did others tell you about me? Bam! Take that, Pilate. I'm going to answer your question with a question one that makes you look like the priest's patsy and their shill, which is, I know, going to get you ticked off, but you're going to kill me anyway, so I'm not going to give you the satisfaction of an argument that will give you evidence to convict me. He goes on. Pilate asked Jesus, So you are a king? Jesus answered, You say that I am. Again, take that pilot. You wanna play word games? Then I'm going to convict you on what you say. I will not play your game. I will not let you convict me with my own words. I will not dignify your loaded questions with answers. I will not be controlled by you to be my own executioner. I'm a free person until the bitter end And I will not let you take that away from me. You are not in control. God is. And I will not give you the power. So go ahead. Throw out all your accusations. Bring out your soldiers, your fake trials. But I will not play along with a game that is all a lie. God is in control of this world and you will not win this battle. And if it takes me going to my death to show you, I will. And so Jesus died for sins he did not commit, for crimes he didn't do, because the people in power didn't have the courage to admit they were scared or that they might be wrong. Accusations can become self-fulfilling if we let them. If we give in to the thinking that there's only two ways in this world, to either be a doormat or to fight back. But Jesus demonstrates a third way, one that doesn't involve violence and anger, one that resists, but with the power of faith, faith in the face of the biggest lies and accusations that your humility and patience unfazed in the face of lies, can ultimately show up what's being done unjustly. And now the scene is set for the road to the cross. Amen.